We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 409 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 28th. 2022, the day after our Wizards took off for Japan. I said, the day after our Wizards took off for Japan. The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Smith. Nice to hear that. It had been a while. Since we had played that, uh, the Wizards, they on Tuesday evening boarded a plane for Japan. Uh, the Wizards are going to be participating in two preseason games against the Golden State Warriors at Saitama Super Arena outside of Tokyo this Friday and Sunday. Uh, the Wizards, of course, of Rui Hachimura, who they took in the first round of the 2019 NBA Draft, first Japanese player in league history to be drafted in a first round. Wizards-Warriors game one in Japan Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern Wizards-Warriors Game 2 in Japan, Sunday at 1 a.m. Eastern. So, <laughs> Saturday night, while you're engaged in whatever deviant act you're engaged in, don't tell me, okay? I don't want to know. But Saturday night, while you're doing whatever the heck it is that you're doing, you can also watch Wizards-Warriors in Japan. Who doesn't want to watch Wizards-Warriors preseason NBA in Japan. Hello and welcome to a Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. It does not appear as if the Commanders will be facing quarterback Dak Prescott when they play at the Dallas Cowboys this Sunday afternoon, beginning at 1. Dak suffered a fractured right thumb in the Cowboys' 19-3 home loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football in Week 1. There had been some talk that Dak could be back for this game against the Commanders in Week 4. But Dak, in a piece by USA Today Sports that came out on Tuesday morning, said regarding playing this Sunday, quote, nah, probably not. But Week 5 against the Rams, that's the one I'm looking at, end quote. Uh, now, maybe Dak was lying, okay? Maybe Dak was engaged in subterfuge, but uh, 
That is what he said. Heck, maybe Dak figures he doesn't need to play this Sunday because the Cowboys are going to have no problem with our commanders. Whoever starts at quarterback for the Cowboys this Sunday afternoon against the commanders doesn't matter if the commander's offense doesn't perform better than what we saw in the team's last game, the hideous 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field this past Sunday afternoon. Next segment, a special guest, the man who goes by the name Kyle Smith for GM. He is a writer for Hogshaven, which is the SB Nation site for the Commanders. He operates anonymously, but he knows his stuff, and he has just written a piece examining the nine sacks that quarterback Carson Wentz took in that loss to the Eagles. You know, more and more sacks allowed is being viewed as a quarterback stat as much as sacks allowed is being viewed as an offensive line stat. We're going to get into that, what Carson's history of taking sacks means, offensive coordinator Scott Turner's play calling, uh, some big picture stuff with the commanders in this year three with Ron Rivera as head coach and a lot more. The mysterious, the enigmatic Kyle Smith for GM, writer for Hogshaven, on the show next segment for some high-level commander's conversation. By the way, the latest DVOA stats from Football Outsiders come out each Tuesday during the NFL regular season. There is only one team in the NFL that, through week three, is in the bottom five of the league in both total offense per DVOA and total defense per DVOA for the 2022 regular season. And that team is, yes, the Commanders. Uh, I did not like seeing that on Tuesday. The Commanders are 29th in total offense and 29th in total defense. Uh, There's also this. The Commanders, believe it or not, per DVOA, have played the hardest schedule in the NFL so far in the 2022 regular season. Yeah, hardest schedule in the NFL. Uh, So much for the Commanders having a super easy schedule this season, although the schedule should soften as the season goes on. But, you know, I say that word should because who the heck knows? But how about that? Three weeks into the 2022 regular season, the Commanders have played the hardest schedule in the NFL per DVOA. Also on the show, I'll talk Nationals. Uh, They on Tuesday night lost to the Atlanta Braves, 8-2 at Nationals Park, as the Braves now are tied with the New York Mets atop the National League East. Each team is 97-58. and 58. You see, who says that the Nats aren't playing meaningful games in late September? Uh, I'll have some thoughts on the Nats for you from this game, including the whopper of a home run disparity between the Nats and the Braves growing even larger, and some very sloppy and way too casual infield defense by the Nats on Tuesday night. And I'll talk Orioles. Uh, They on Tuesday night had a fourth consecutive wild game, this time a 13-9 loss at the Boston Red Sox. Starter Kyle Bradish got rocked seven runs in two and a third innings, but left fielder Anthony Santander. How about this guy? Santander on Tuesday night hit two home runs in a game for a third time in four games. Forget about New York Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge being on the verge of 61 home runs. 
Orioles outfielder Anthony Santander on fire right now. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including, by the way, if you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, uh, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode, hit us up. Uh, we offer a variety of attractive and affordable packages. Uh, podcast advertising, a lot cheaper than radio advertising. Again, the email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from B on a potential way of identifying the commanders. Writes B, hey Al, thanks for your continued and thorough coverage of this old clunker of a franchise. I just wanted to throw something out there that I heard Coach Sheehan say on the radio that actually kind of landed for me regarding the rebrand. He accidentally said Washington football commanders, like the New York football giants. And I gotta say, this did it for me a little bit. Your thoughts? Thanks for everything. Keep it up, my early morning warrior. Well, thank you, B, my early morning warrior. Uh, I appreciate that. Got to be honest with you. Uh, I am not a fan of Washington football commanders. Uh, Too long, too wordy, and it's a ripoff of New York football giants for no reason. There is a reason that people back in the day said New York football giants, and that's because there also was a major league baseball team called the New York Giants. And so when talking about the New York Giants, you had to be specific about which New York Giants team that you were talking about. Uh, The New York baseball Giants, of course, became the San Francisco Giants years ago. But there are people who still say New York football Giants just because it's an old school thing and a unique thing and an homage to the past. You know, both of my parents are from New York City. My dad's dad was a huge fan of the New York baseball giants before the team moved to San Francisco. The New York baseball giants were a great team. Christy Mathewson, one of the best pitchers ever. Melot, uh, one of the best outfielders ever. I mean, look, if you want to say Washington football commanders, go ahead. I don't think that saying that is like some crime against humanity, but what we truly need is a shortened one-syllable nickname for commanders, like Skins, for Redskins. And we don't have a shortened one-syllable nickname for commanders, and I'm not sure that we're ever going to have that. Email from Sterling Porter, CPA, on the commanders. And no, not about their books, but about the team's play on the field. Right, Sterling, I keep thinking over the question of whether the performance on the field is a result of the talent or scheme. The consistency with which we see these performances, I lean toward coaching. I am concerned the coaching staff is losing the team to the point that the players are no longer going to buy into what the coaching staff is preaching. Jack Del Rio, I think, may have already lost the defense. I think highly of Ron Rivera and believe he is a true leader of men, but I feel like the game started to pass him by at the end of his tenure in Carolina. Instead of trying new things, he is still doing the same stuff he did in Carolina and bringing in a lot of old Carolina players. Lastly, this is all on the leadership, aka the Danny. This has been a consistent theme since he took over, and I am starting to lose hope that we will ever have sustained success with him at the helm. The Snyder cloud has consistently hovered over the team for 23 years now. It's bigger than X's and O's. What do you think? I hope you can convince me I am wrong. Give me some hope, Al. Good show as always. Keep up the good work. Uh, Thank you for the email, Sterling. Uh, A few things. So I am not ready to say that our defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, has lost the defense. I don't dismiss the possibility, but I'm not there yet in terms of saying, okay, that is what has happened. Uh, The players do seem to like Jack. I mean, they publicly very much stood by him 
during the whole dust-up thing this past June. And I did think that the defense played reasonably well in the loss to the Eagles. Uh, now, that said, we need to see more, okay? If, if the defense gets shredded at the Cowboys this Sunday afternoon and then gets gutted by the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field in Week 5, uh, then yeah, check back with me on whether Jack has lost the defense. As far as the game having passed by Ron Rivera, I don't know if that's the case so much as him potentially not being the right guy for a coach-centric approach is the case. Has Ron Rivera, as the head coach in a coach-centric approach in which he presides over football operations, done a good enough job in football operations to make you think that the commanders have a decided advantage in football operations? The answer is no. Uh, Washington's player personnel track record since Ron became the head coach in a coach-centric approach on New Year's Day 2020 is mixed. Uh, There certainly have been some very good moves, but there hasn't been enough overall success and no reasonable person is thinking that the commanders are like killing it in player personnel. And one of the things that you already have to wonder about is the lack of moves this past offseason. You know, the commanders had the salary cap space with which to do more and they haven't done more. And I wonder if they're going to regret having not done more, especially when you look at the depth issues for the defensive line and for the corners and for the linebackers. And then with our guy, Dan Snyder, uh, look, as long as he is the team's owner in some form as he has been since May 1999, it's going to be difficult for the team to have sustained success. Not impossible, but difficult. The Danny factor is undeniable. The team's record since he became owner is abysmal, and the only success that the team has had since he became owner has come in brief spurts as opposed to any sustained runs. I mean, the team hasn't made the playoffs in consecutive seasons since making the playoffs in each of three consecutive seasons from 1990 through 1992. 1992 was 30 years ago, okay? That is a long time ago. So there's enough of a sample here with Danny as the owner to be able to say, yeah, uh, sustained success, uh, rather difficult with this guy running things. Well, buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area is not difficult, not if you have Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent. And if you're thinking about buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area, know that now is the time. Housing prices are falling. That means that now is the time to buy. Get with Kellen Hunt as your real estate agent. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You may be wondering, hey, is now a good time to buy a home given what has been happening with mortgage rates? Uh, the answer is yes. The rates are sidelining buyers causing high-level inventory, the likes of which we have not seen in years, this presents a huge opportunity for buyers. Uh, Think of it like a contrarian approach in sports betting or in analytics. When everyone else is zigging, you should be zagging. Uh, With so many other buyers sidelined, that is causing a major rise in inventory and a major reduction in prices, and so you should be buying Kellen Hunt understands all of this. He gets that now is the time to pounce. So, pounce. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell 
that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. His website says it all. Close it with Kel. Kellen Hunt is a closer. Kellen Hunt will close you buying the home that you want. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer get a piece of the action. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, the name to know is Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell.com. K-E-L-L dot com. And make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast. The ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. You can rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you can write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. The review can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. So the Commanders are one and two. They have the third worst point differential in the NFC at minus 19. They are alone in last place in the NFC East. Other than all of that, how we doing? Uh, <laughs> big game this Sunday afternoon at one at the two and one Dallas Cowboys, who in their last game, the 23-16 win at the New York Giants on Monday night, generated 24 pressures per ESPN. Most pressures generated by the Cowboys in a game since 2017. Of course, the Commanders have allowed 14 sacks over the team's last two games. The Commanders allowed five sacks in the 36-27 loss at the Detroit Lions in Week 2, and the Commanders allowed nine sacks in the 24-8 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field in Week 3. Speaking of that loss to the Eagles, terrific piece on the SB Nation site for the Commanders. Hogs Haven this week on the nine sacks that Commanders quarterback Carson Wentz took in that game. Specifically, who was at fault? And I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, the author of that piece. He goes by the name Kyle Smith for GM. He is a writer for Hogshaven. You can follow him on Twitter at Smith4GM with the number four. He operates in anonymity, but he has written some really good stuff for Hogshaven. He's a smart analytical commanders fan, and it's nice to have him back on the podcast. Kyle Smith for GM. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks, Al. Appreciate you having me on this morning. I appreciate you coming back on the headline of the piece that you wrote on the nine sacks that Carson Wentz took in the loss to the Eagles kind of says it all. Uh, Carson Wentz is manufacturing his own sacks. Uh, But tell us about your thought process for the piece and what exactly your findings were. Sure. Yeah. So uh, as I say in the piece, one of the things that's that struck me is, you know, generally, I think fans tend to put most of the responsibility for, you know, QB pressures or sacks on the offensive line. And, and there's a certain intuitive um, obviousness to that, I guess, which makes sense. But one of the, the things that I came across a couple of years ago uh, that was fascinating was a piece uh, by a guy named uh, Jason Lisk of the big lead. He wrote uh, an article called um, sacks or a QB stat, which is, was a fascinating 
hypothesis to me. And and what he's really saying is that you know sacks are not wholly the responsibility of quarterbacks, but that if you track quarterbacks over time, um, that they tend to be a pretty big consistent factor in terms of whether or not they're taking lots of sacks or not. So they may change teams or their offensive lines may change over years, but there tends to be a common thread in the the quarterbacks who take lots of sacks from year to year, uh, sort of irregardless or regardless of their uh, offensive line. And, and, and I use that as an introductory idea to this um, discussion of Wentz's nine sacks on Sunday um, and, and looked uh, at each of those sacks. And actually, I have to say, Mark Bullock, uh, who's another writer uh, for the Commanders, um, did a really nice analysis as well that was similar. I, I was um, unaware of his until after I'd written my piece. But, but basically looking at sort of the responsibility for each of these sacks. And, and the conclusion I came to was that, you know, about 40% of the, the sacks um, that he took on Sunday were, were largely his responsibility. That is, he had plenty of time in the pocket. Um, you know, he ran into uh, a defender who may have been being held off by an offensive lineman, or he did something else to basically, um, uh, you know, increase the likelihood that that sack would occur. Now, there were certainly some sacks that were not on him that were just on really poor uh, offensive line play. But it was really to, to have this discussion of, you know, well, what, what share of the responsibility um uh, are the sacks on the quarterback versus on the line, which has taken the line has taken a lot of heat uh, this year, and and part of that's I think because there's been turnover, especially among the guards, and with the loss of Chase Roulier, that's been very tough. Um, but you know, the quarterback, in my opinion, has a significant amount of responsibility as well for uh, for many of those sacks, and I think we saw that on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. And Carson Wentz, in his postgame press conference on Sunday, to his credit, took ownership of the sacks. Uh, the idea that sacks allowed is as much, if not more, of a quarterback stat than an offensive line stat is something that has been gaining steam, especially in the analytics community. You know, it is undeniable that Carson Wentz takes a lot of sacks. Uh, Carson, over his first six NFL regular seasons, 2016 through 2021, had a sack percentage of 6.55. That's high. Uh, do you view Carson being a quarterback who takes a lot of sacks as a fatal flaw or as more of a necessary evil in him also being a quarterback who holds on to balls for a while in order to make plays downfield? So I think the fact that he takes so many fumbles when he's getting sacked, that that rises to the level almost a fatal flaw. That is just a backbreaker. You know, taking that, uh, giving up that fumble, I think was around our 25-yard line when he took the um, sack. Uh, one of the sacks I think was in the first quarter uh, that I definitely would, or maybe it was the second quarter that I would put on him um, was, was a killer. You know, we were already down, I think three, nothing at that point, And they just quickly scored a touchdown after that um, taking sacks in and of itself, I think is not necessarily a, a deal killer. If you, I, after this, I read this article, I sort of went back and looked at the sack rate career sack rate for um active quarterbacks and and guys like Lamar Jackson guys like Deshaun Watson guys like um uh, Kyler Murray Kyler Murray Murray tend to have pretty high sack rates because they're you know moving around in the in the pocket and um it's not you know it hasn't killed their careers because they're making up a lot of yardage on the ground um and scrambling it's just sort of the nature of the way they play the game so I don't think taking a lot of sacks is necessarily a killer but the turnovers are just brutal uh in terms of um you know killing momentum and and putting the other team in a, in a position to really take advantage 
Well, the Commanders certainly have been taken advantage of uh, in each of their last two first halves. The first half of the loss at the Lions, the first half of the loss to the Eagles. Uh, The Commanders over those two first halves outscored by an absurd margin of 46-0. And Carson Wentz being pressured a lot has been a big part of those first half debacles. Uh, As I talked about on Tuesday's show, episode 408. Carson actually has been a good quarterback on the move and on outside of pocket passes. The data backs that up that we have not seen much in the way of moving pockets for Carson these last two games, given all of the pressure, has been mystifying to me. I like a lot about offensive coordinator Scott Turner, but I don't get what he has been thinking. Now, you back in April wrote a piece about Carson being at his best on the move and on outside of pocket passes. Headline, Carson Wentz is at his best on the move. What have you been thinking watching Scott's play calling recently? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. That's stuck in the back of my mind. You know, in, the, in that article, and I revisited yesterday, was, you know, if you're going to try to turn Carson into a pocket passer, it's not going to work. It hasn't worked in his career. It's he's one of the worst uh, pocket passers, you know, sort of comfortable pocket passers in the league over the course of his career. Um, he's got to be, to me, he's got to be making things happen, sort of improvisationally. And whether that's you know rolling him out or doing sort of uh, quick hit passes, whatever it is, it, something has got to change in terms of the play calling. I was you know watched the game between Dallas and New York, and looking at how. Um, how Danny uh, Daniel Jones uh, was playing, you know, I, I was like, why? You know, he he takes off if he, if something's not open, he's taken right off for a, a short scamper. And I think probably Carson's no longer quite as fast as Jones is, but it's like that that just that little bit of uh, ability to to move outside the pocket um, either gets you a few yards on a scamper or it ends up breaking down coverage and giving you the opportunity to find a a pass downfield. And if you look at a number of the sacks, I I went back and looked at some of those too. It's like if Carson would have just darted a few yards outside the pocket and either thrown the ball away or run for a few yards or tried to find somebody open downfield, he could have avoided catastrophe. Whereas he oftentimes, and it's funny because somebody in one of the comments yesterday was saying he seems to lack object permanence. So that's like, you know, like babies when they see something, when something gets out of their, out of their, you know, view, they think it's gone away, like evaporated from reality. And, And you saw a number of times where one of the tackles is pushing a defensive end behind Wentz. And then he seems to have forgotten that that guy's still in sort of the void space right over his shoulder and walked right into it. You saw it with, with Cosme at least once. And so um, I I don't understand how you can be in the league for seven years or so and not have a better feel for what's going on around you in the pocket. Um, And, and he seems to still be having issues there. So, yeah, I think, you know, Scott Turner's play calling, um, I feel like can bear some of the blame for this uh, as well, for sure. Much more with the mysterious but intelligent Hogshaven writer Kyle Smith for GM on the Commanders in moments. But if your lawn is looking as the Commanders offense has looked in the first halves of the team's last two games, you gotta get with Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so that you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration, seeding, and a variety of other services. If you do not have the time or the knowledge to make your lawn look great, no worries. Let Weedman 
take care of your lawn and take advantage of a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. Uh, that's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. Uh, Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Uh, Weedman's products are of the highest quality, uh, the best weed controls, state certified seed. Uh, Weedman's secret sauce is the fertilizer. All of Weedman's organic based fertilizer applications feature 65% super slow release nitrogen that feeds your roots slowly and effectively. You see, Weedman has a mastery of the science behind a great lawn. And so put Weedman to work for you. A beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall. So take advantage of this special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $219. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. Call 571-340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast for the special offer. That's 571 571- 340-3400 and mention the Al Galdi podcast. You could also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. More now with Hogshaven writer Kyle Smith for GM on the Commanders. Uh, let's take a step back with Carson Wentz. Looking at him over three games into the 2022 regular season, how would you assess how he has played? You know, um, it's it's been a, you know everyone says it's a roller coaster ride. I think that's true. I think you know that, that that first quarter or two of play against the Jaguars. I mean, it looked like you know everything was going to be amazing, and I think we got enough cautionary uh, feedback from Colts and Eagles fans to know that wasn't going to last. But just the, the highs and the lows are just incredible. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, if, if somebody asked earlier today, you know, if, if Carson played this way for the rest of the season, would you sign him? Would you, would you pick up his, the next year of his contract? And I think I'd say no, you know, I mean, he's, he's played brilliantly for a couple of quarters, maybe a few quarters, but he's also played just so miserably. Um, and, and, and the other piece of this is that things don't seem to be clicking right. I mean, I thought the defense actually played played okay against uh, the, the Eagles when it was terrible against uh, the Lions. But, but um, you know, being able to put everything together would sh- certainly be a big help. But, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, there was a piece of me that felt like I'd almost rather see Heineke with all of these offensive weapons that we've got now give it a shot as opposed to Carson, who just is feast or famine. Uh, it's really it's difficult to, <laughs> to watch. Yeah, the lows, the lulls certainly have been difficult to watch. You certainly don't want to overreact, but it's hard to look at the commanders, not just having lost their last two games, but also the nature of these losses and see this challenging game at the Cowboys coming up and not at least wonder if the season is about to spiral out of control. It, of course, is still early in the season. Does this feel to you like a season that's going to unravel, or can you see the commanders getting their act together as the season goes on? Um, so my, my prediction for the season was, you know, basically eight and nine, fairly middling. And I, I still feel like that's probably, uh, fairly accurate. I think uh, the defense, you know, continues to, 
to underperform. It'll be interesting to see what happens when when Chase comes back. Um, it certainly seemed like things were better with Cam Curl back in the lineup this past week. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like it's just too up and down. Uh, you know, the two games, like you say, where we started whatever it was, 46 to nothing down in, in the half. Somebody said something like seven in, in Rivera's tenure here, seven games uh, Washington has started put down by 20 to nothing or, or worse. I mean, that's crazy to think about how we talk about slow starts, but that's just ludicrous. I mean, the, the likelihood you're going to win a game where you start down 20, nothing is, is almost zero. Um, and, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, this coaching staff um, doesn't leave me with a lot of confidence, unfortunately, at this point. So with Ron Rivera, uh, he, of course, is not just the commander's head coach. He's also in charge of football operations. He is the head coach in a coach-centric approach. Is this season for you a make-or-break season for Ron? Uh, I think I'll give him this season. Um, You know, my feeling has been that Dan Snyder has too much going on to to get rid of Ron before the end of his five year contract. So I th- I think the inertia is that he sticks around for the next couple of years if he wants to. But you know, in terms of his ability to to actually succeed, um, you know, if he can't get into the playoffs this year with this team, um, I don't hold out a lot of hope because that means again we're probably starting with a new quarterback next year, whether that's Sam Howell or somebody who gets drafted early on and. So you can write that season off, essentially. Um, and, and we're starting to get into the point where, you know, how are, how are we going to um, afford all these guys on defense? Who are we going to keep around? I mean, I thought it was a foregone conclusion that Payne gets, uh, you know, is allowed to walk at the end of this season. But he seems to be the only one who's really performing. I mean, would you give Montez Sweat an extension at this point, um, and you know, how is Chase going to play when he gets back? I, I feel like the team has put itself in a really awkward position, um, and some of that's before Ron. So to be fair, in terms of the you know using all those first round picks on defensive players, uh, but but I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough. I, I do I do think this season is going to be make or break for Ron, and you know, I'm seeing certainly, and I'm sure you are too, among the fan base. Um, a turning, it seems like, against Ron at this point. You know, Del Rio seemed to be the primary um, recipient of Venom for a while, but but it seems to be creeping up to Ron's level at this point. And so I think people are getting restless. They are. Uh, things can change. And, you know, some of the same people who right now are restless will be getting tattoos that say, take command if the team starts winning. But right now, things are not so good. Uh, Ron Rivera has indicated multiple times now that the commander's problems primarily have to do with players not executing, players not playing well. Uh, You in September wrote a piece that was a comparative analysis of Washington's 2021 roster with the team's 2022 roster, and the conclusion was that the 2022 roster was better. You certainly were not alone in that opinion, but do we need to rethink just how good this commander's roster is? I, well, I think so. I think, um, you know, there's no question the receiving core, the receiving weapons, including the tight ends, that's that's better. That's that's as good as it's been in a very, very long time. Um, you know, what, Carson obviously is up and down. I think the offensive line, what I thought was uh, really nice depth going into the season, um, looks 
you know, much, much more marginal now. I mean, having Schweitzer at center, you know, he can do it, but that's, he's, you know, he's a much better guard than he is the center. And it's like, he's filling in there. You saw it with his snaps, his shotgun snaps were not great on Sunday. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, uh, the issue with, I, I just think, uh, the defensive line, you know, especially with the loss of Mathis early on is coming back to haunt us. Um, I was, I, I really wish they could have find, found a way to keep Tim, Tim settle around. I, I don't really mind Ionitis um, leaving, but I felt like settle um, was a good deal. I thought, especially if you know you're going to lose pain after a year, it makes sense to keep settle around as somebody who can be um, a reasonable cost villain. Um, so I don't know. Um, the secondary, uh, again, doesn't look great. We knew the linebackers were going to be <laughs> trouble from the beginning. So um, I don't know. Uh, I, th- I still think it's an upgrade, but I think the extent to which it's an upgrade, we're not, we're not necessarily seeing that on the field for sure. And the offense um, is just way too erratic um, to, to be consistently successful. One more for you. ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on Sunday morning reporting that the Commanders and San Francisco 49ers at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine had the parameters in place for a trade of quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo to the Commanders, but that, quote, the deal fell apart once the quarterback decided to have shoulder surgery, end quote. What'd you make of that report? I'm not surprised by it. And at the time when when we were going into the offseason and lead up to the draft, I actually wrote an article uh, looking at sort of the QB options. And, and I, I thought to myself that Garoppolo might be among the more likely of the options. Um, the thing that scared me at the time was that I felt like his value was probably increasing because he had just come off a, you know, NFC championship game. Um, whereas, you know, only a few weeks earlier, I thought, okay, maybe you can get a third rounder for Garoppolo. I felt like his value was certainly into the second round range, maybe even higher. So I'm not surprised by it. Um, I, I do think if it had happened, it would have been very similar to a, a an Alex Smith 2.0 situation where yeah. you've got a game manager who you know maybe you would have extended, um, who probably wasn't going to be enough to put the team on his back, um, you know, to win games. So I can't say that I'm um, sad that it didn't happen, but uh, but I'm not sure where we go, you know, after this season. Um, do we really want Ron? mortgaging the future to move up in the draft for a first round quarterback or do we think that how has got the possibility it's sort of scary in terms of what the implications could be yeah <laughs> unless the commanders end up being so bad that they don't need to trade up in order to have a top five pick in the 2023 nfl draft although the belief is that the 2023 draft will be a quarterback rich draft so maybe the commanders wouldn't need to trade up to get a franchise quarterback even without a top five pick but what are we doing <laughs> talking 2023 NFL draft three games into the Commanders 2022 regular season. We need a win at the Cowboys on Sunday. Kyle Smith for GM, writer for Hogshaven. I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Al. Appreciate it. All right. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. Uh, Perhaps the number one difference between them and the reigning defending World Series champion Atlanta Braves was again on display on Tuesday night at Nationals Park. I'll explain after this.
Well, as you surely know, internet security and privacy are major issues. You perhaps have heard of VPN, which stands for Virtual Private Network. A VPN is a service that protects your internet connection and privacy online. I want to tell you about NordVPN. NordVPN keeps your internet connection safe and private and allows you to access region-locked content. With NordVPN, you can safely stream sports, television shows, and movies wherever you travel in the world. NordVPN is one of the most user-friendly VPN services on the market, so you can easily set it up on your smart TV or Apple TV and enjoy watching games with your friends and family. NordVPN shields your data from snoops and criminals, protects you on public Wi-Fi connections, and allows you to secure up to six devices on one account. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so that you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And NordVPN has a threat protection feature that'll mean that you no longer have to worry about intrusive website ads and malware. In fact, even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes the file before it makes a mess of your computer. Go to nordvpn.com slash algaldi to get your subscription started. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and get a free month. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. nordvpn.com slash algaldi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, I, on Tuesday's show, episode 408, talked about the jarring disparity in home runs between the Nationals and the Atlanta Braves this season. Uh, we, on Tuesday night, saw that disparity grow. An 8-2 loss for the Nats to the Braves at Nationals Park in Game 2 of a three-game series. Nats now a Major League worst 53-101. and The Braves now are tied with the New York Mets atop the National League East. Each team is 97-58. and 58. The NL East has by far the best division race in the majors this season, and the Mets and Braves uh, will play a three-game series in Atlanta this weekend. That is going to be some series. But anyway, the Nats on Tuesday night, one home run. The Braves on Tuesday night, 
three home runs. So in the 2022 regular season now, the Nats have a National League worst 131 home runs, and the Braves have a National League best 233 home runs. The Braves have 102 more home runs than the Nats have. And how about this? The Braves in games against the Nats in the 2022 regular season have out-homered the Nats 41-15. That is staggering, man. Uh, Paolo Espino, he was the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night. He allowed four runs in five innings. Uh, He began the outing with three perfect innings with five strikeouts, but he then allowed two runs in the top of the fourth and then two runs in the top of the fifth. Ultimately gave up five hits, two home runs, a triple, and two singles. He did have five strikeouts versus no walks. He threw 72 pitches, 47 strikes versus 25 balls. Paolo in the Braves' two-run fourth gave up a two-out, two-run triple to Michael Harris the second over Lane Thomas in right field on a one-two pitch to tie the game at two. And Paolo in the Braves' two-run fifth gave a back-to-back two-out solo homers to Orlando Arcia and Ronald Acuna Jr., for a 4-2 Braves lead. The other home run by the Braves on Tuesday night was another home run by Acuna. Reliever Mason Thompson in the top of the seventh allowed a run on a one-out solo homer by Acuna to left field on an 0-2 pitch for a 7-2 Braves lead. Uh, That homer went and projected 407 feet for a stat cast. Also for the Nats on Tuesday night, defensive sloppiness in the infield. Uh, You know, the Nats defense has been a lot better for weeks now, but the Nats on Tuesday night did not have a good defensive game. Reliever Jordan Weems in the top of the six allowed two runs on three consecutive two-out hits, including a two-out two-run double by Eddie Rosario off the center field wall on an 0-2 pitch for a 6-2 Braves lead. But how about what preceded the Rosario two-out two-run double? Third baseman Ildemaro Vargas took way too long to get rid of the ball in throwing to first base on what, upon replay review, was a two-out full-count infield single by Michael Harris II on a sharp grounder to Vargas. And then second baseman Cesar Hernandez took way too long to throw the ball to first base on a two-out infield single off the bat of William Contreras, who hit a grounder up the middle on which Cesar made a nice backhanded stab. So back-to-back plate appearances that ended in grounders that each could have resulted in the third out, but did not result in the third out. And then Eddie Rosario blasted that two-out, two-run double off the center field wall on an 0-2 pitch for a 6-2 Braves lead. And then reliever Erasmo Ramirez in the top of the eighth allowed an unearned run on a run-scoring wild pitch. The run was unearned thanks to a throwing error by shortstop C.J. Abrams. He committed a one-out throwing error as he made an errant throw on a grounder off the bat of Michael Harris the second, and the grounder was hit right to Abrams behind second base. Bad infield defense by the Nats on Tuesday night. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night. You gotta play defense, right? I mean, can't give can't give teams you know six six extra outs. It's it's not good, you know. Especially when you got guys over there that can that can hit, and you're gonna pay the price. So, um, you know, when uh, you want good pitching, defense does help. And we gotta play we gotta play better defense. And we've been playing good defense um, today. It just didn't happen today. No, it did not. I mentioned Cesar Hernandez, my guy. <laughs> he on Tuesday night as an ad starting second baseman and number six batter, 0 for 4 with two strikeouts, giving him for the 2022 regular season an OPS of just 623 over a team high 500. 500- 
97 plate appearances. This now is a game that I want to play. Which number will be higher? Cesar Hernandez's number of plate appearances or Cesar Hernandez's OPS? And yes, I know, the OPS is .623, but you get the idea. The numbers on Tuesday night got even closer, 623 OPS versus 597 plate appearances. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday night actually led 2 nothing after two innings, but did not have a hit after the fourth inning. Uh, the Nats finished with just six hits and one walk, struck out 11 times, went one for four with runners in scoring position. Victor Robles did hit a home run. He was an Nats starting center fielder and number eight batter. He went one for three with a solo homer. Robles in an Nats one run second to two out solo homer to left field for a 2-0 Nats lead. This has been a third consecutive bad offensive season for Victor Robles, but he is hitting better by his standards this month. He, for the month of September now, has an OPS of 715. That's not a great OPS, but by Victor Robles' standards, uh, that is improvement. Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on Victor Robles. Oh, he's, he's, he's having good swings. Like I said, he's another one that, you know, when, when the ball's in his own right now, he's hitting the ball fairly hard, you know, but he's got to remember he's got to, he's got to stay short. You know, he can't get long. He hit a home run, you know, today and a couple of swings got really long. So, um, you know, we got to, you know, he's got to stay short and remember who he is. Also, Luke Voigt on Tuesday night did have two doubles. Uh, he was an at starting DH and number four batter. Two for four with an RBI double and another double. Uh, Voigt in an at's one run first, a two out RBI double to left field for a one nothing Nats lead despite having been down in the count of 1.12. And Voigt in the bottom of the third, a two out double to left field. Game three for the Nats against the Braves at Nationals Park. Wednesday night at 7.05, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles on Tuesday night were involved in a crazy game for a fourth consecutive game. Uh, this past Saturday night, an 11-10 loss to the American League-leading Houston Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. This past Sunday afternoon, a 6-3, 11-inning loss to the Astros at Camden Yards. Monday night, a 14-8 win at the Boston Red Sox. And now Tuesday night, a 13-9 loss at the Red Sox. What a last four games for the O's. Uh, they now are 80 and 74, still are three and a half games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wild card spot. O's have eight games left in this 2022 regular season. So the O's on Tuesday night in game two of this four game series at the Red Sox, nine runs, 15 hits, two walks, four of 14 with runners in scoring position. But also for the O's on Tuesday night, Three errors, and the team used seven pitchers. Uh, the starting pitcher, Kyle Bradish, he was not good. Uh, I tell you, Kyle Bradish is so Jekyll and Hyde. He at times has been outstanding, and he at times has been awful. And he on Tuesday night was awful. Seven runs in two and a third innings. Uh, Bradish gave up just four hits, a homer, a double, and two singles, but he issued four walks. He issued a hit-by-pitch, and he issued a wild pitch. Uh, he recorded three strikeouts, but Bradish, over his two and a third innings, threw a jaw-dropping 85 pitches and threw just 44 strikes versus 41 balls. He had a hard time finding home plate. O's manager Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on Tuesday night on Kyle Bradish. You know, he just didn't have his normal, the, the command he's had in the second half uh, tonight, and uh, 
a lot of deep counts, a lot of foul balls, uh, a lot of misses just kind of up. I thought you know, some borderline pitches didn't go his way either, but just didn't have the normal command that, that he's had uh, his last handful of starts. Yeah, Kyle Bradish now in the 2022 regular season, 22 major league starts, an ERA of 5'11". I mean, that is not a good ERA, but like I said, he has been outstanding at times. Heck, just look at his previous start prior to Tuesday night start. 2 nothing win over the Astros at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Thursday night. Bradish in that game was sensational. Eight and two-thirds scoreless innings, 10 strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. He threw exactly 100 pitches, 70 strikes versus 30 balls. But Bradish's start prior to that start was a bad start. 6-3 loss at the American League wildcard leading Toronto Blue Jays on September 17th. Bradish in that game, five runs, three earned in four and two-thirds innings. But Bradish's start prior to that start was a good start. <laughs> one nothing loss to the Boston Red Sox at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on September 11th. Bradish in that game, one run, in seven innings. Kyle Bradish very up and down this season at the major league level. Also on Tuesday night for the O's, another two home run game for Anthony Santander. Yes, he did it again. Anthony Santander in this 13-9 loss at the Red Sox on Tuesday night hit two home runs in a game for a third time in four games. Yeah, Three times over the last four games, Anthony Santander, a two-home run game. He, on Tuesday night, went three for five with a two-run homer, a solo homer, and a double. He had 10 total bases in the game. Santander in an Orioles one-run first, a two-out double. Santander in an Orioles two-run third, a one-out solo homer to right field for a 3-2 Orioles lead. Santander in an Orioles Five-run fourth, a two-out, two-run homer over the Green Monster in left field to tie the game at eight. Anthony Santander, over his last four games, has raised his slugging percentage for the 2022 regular season by 33 points from 440 to 473. Do you know how hard that is to do this deep into a 162-game regular season? And yet Santander has done that a 33-point increase in his slugging percentage for the season over just his last four games. Brandon Hyde during his post-game session with reporters on Tuesday night on Anthony Santander. Every ball he's hitting feel like it's on the screws right now, and um, Ref Snyder makes a great play on him there in his last at-bat, but just taking great swings and... you know, he's having just a, you know, a great week uh, throwing his power and getting huge hits for us. Yeah, what a run Anthony Santander is on. He, for the 2022 regular season now, leads the O's with 33 home runs. Uh, also for the O's on Tuesday night, Adley Rutschman hit a home run. He was the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, one for five, but the one was a solo homer. Rutschman in that Orioles two-run third, a one-out solo homer down the right field line to tie the game at two. Uh, Also, third baseman Ramon Arias came within a double of the cycle, uh, but he left the game with right knee discomfort. Game three for the O's at the Red Sox Wednesday night at 7-10. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 410, will include a lot on the Commanders. They, on Wednesday, will begin their practice week for the big game this Sunday afternoon at the Dallas Cowboys at 1. We expect both head coach Ron Rivera and quarterback Carson Wentz to do post-practice press conferences on Wednesday. Also on Thursday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. The Nats on Wednesday night at 7.05 will begin Game 3 of their three-game series against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park, with the Braves now tied atop the National League East with the New York Mets. The O's on Wednesday night at 7.10 will begin Game 3 of their four-game series at the Boston Red Sox. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. The damn Washington Wizards! Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.